welcome to The Light Pod, brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. I'm your host, Sam Corbel, and today I'm lucky and fortunate to have Lisa Bartlett from Davis Partnership on the podcast. Lisa is a senior associate and heads the lighting studio here locally. She has an incredible background that comes from architecture and walked on a journey through healthcare and ultimately found lighting. Lisa, it's good to see you. How's things going? Hey, Sam. Thanks so much for having me. I'm doing great. For sure. Happy Friday. Just kidding. We wish. Yeah, we'll get there soon enough. (laughs) But, you know, it's great to be eight feet away from you. We've got an extra two foot buffer on us. And, um... You know, things are moving on. That's it's right. It's a different normal, but it's cool. We we can still interact with people. We can still have great conversations. And I'm just happy you're here. So how are things going for you? Well, you know, I'm enjoying being in your fantastic podcast studio. Love it. Gotten Getting to see Sam's office for the first time. Things are, are really wonderful. I actually was considering on the drive over that this time of stay at home and now safer at home is giving me an opportunity to really lean into deeper thinking and focus and flow and ponder the deep questions like how do we really create extraordinary lighting design in a, in a much more intimate way with fewer interruptions. So I'm, I'm actually grateful for many things right now. That's awesome, Lisa. Well, hey, you know, we've been friends for a while. We've had the opportunity yeah. to work together before in Denver. Tell everybody else, who is Lisa Barlett and, and what's your passion? How did you get into lighting? Well, to keep it a little bit more brief, Sam, we'll focus on the lighting part of the career. Um, But I am deeply passionate about lighting, and I think most people who would describe me would say that about me. Um, I I tend to agree. You do. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's not the easiest field in the world, and if we don't bring passion and enthusiasm, it's hard to exact the results that we want for our clients on projects. But my journey started, I went to school for interior design and um, came out of school with one foot in architecture and one in interior design. Where'd you go to school? I went to school at Texas A&M and Texas Christian in um, can you guess what state? Uh, Alabama. Oh, oh, close, close. You're a few states away, Texas, right, Sam. All right, all right. Yeah. So we went to school in Texas and uh, really fell in love with lighting in school. For those of you who remember Fred Oberkirker, who, who sort of uh, created a lot of anatomy of the eye, he was my lighting professor at TCU. But there really weren't lighting jobs to be had at that time. So I went into architecture, started in healthcare, got licensed through a laborious journey that is uh, not really relevant to this podcast in both architecture and in interior design. Still hold those licenses today, but about, gosh, it's been nearly 15 years ago, I had an opportunity to pivot into lighting design. And while I was thinking about that, I was given a book by my sister, was recommended a book by my sister. I have two sisters. They're both physicians. I'm the middle child. And I'm holding up a book. The um, favorite child. The favorite child. I'm holding up a book called Lights Out, Sleep, Sugar, and Survival, written by T.S. Wiley with Bent Formby. And it's a... The research is a little bit loose and fast in its documentation, but what it taught me was that lighting has an unbelievable handhold with our entire health and from type 2 diabetes to cancer risks to sleep. Lighting can serve as a near medical intervention. And I got really excited about the fact that by practicing lighting design, not only could I use all of my training from architecture and interiors, but 
if I wasn't being diligent and cautious, I could unintentionally turn people and spaces into lab rats. So why not put those two together and do lighting that is intentional and beautiful, but is also healthy? So you really saw lighting as not only an opportunity to exercise your creative freedom and and fulfill that that creative nature that you have, but there was something bigger to it than just what it looked like at the end of the day. That's right. We, I think many of us are motivated by the notion that we are in some way improving the world or improving the spaces that we design for the people who occupy them. Absolutely. And to me, lighting as an avenue to make people look beautiful is great. It's wonderful, but it's only part of the equation. And if we're not creating lighting that also enhances people's lives, then we've fallen short of what I believe is the available goal to each of us who practice lighting design and those of us who are allied in the industry as well. Well, I think it's cool because you're sitting in a, a large architecture firm in Denver. Mm-hmm. There's over, over 200 people there yeah. leading a lighting studio. And you've got this, this cool skill set that's unique because it's been practiced professionally. And you're able to see this industry and in, in your projects from probably a pretty unique perspective. Talk to me a little bit more about how you approach design and what you think about when it comes to people and and how they feel in a space. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes we we don't know what we don't know until we see another way of doing things. And I continue to be amazed at the way that I see other people doing lighting and and typically an engineering approach. And and there's a great value to engineering, no doubt. And when you say engineering approach, just define that a little bit more for me. Electrical engineering, you know, it really is starting from the baseline of how do we create a code compliant environment, which tends to be a blanket of light in many instances. So I see many lighting designs or master peer review things that have just a sort of smooth, even blanket of light. And with my training from architecture and interior design, I like to start with what are our opportunities to really paint the space, paint the volume, enhance the volume and enhance the materials and thus curate an experience for the people who walk into a space. I want people who walk into a space where I and my team have done the lighting design to either love it or hate it. I don't want them to be indifferent to it or not notice it. I want them to walk in and go, oh my God, this is beautiful and feel comfortable, feel almost like someone's giving them a hug, soothed or whatever. The There are certain spaces that require different emotions or different experiences, but we always take our cues from our architecture and interior design or landscape architecture colleagues around what experience do we want people to have? How do we want them to feel? And then we bring our understanding not only of the visual components of lighting, but also the neurological and psychological impacts to shape the way that people experience space by how we apply light as a medium. We paint with light and it creates experiences for people and it does shift their emotions. When you're going through that process and you're thinking about how you're going to paint that volume and shape people's emotions, you're painting with light. What else is on your mind right now? I mean, with all the IoT and and lighting controls and the ability to not only put light in a space, but make it do certain things or mm-hmm. or connect with certain things. How do you approach that? Yeah, that's a, a really valid point. 
lighting is many layered and we have to be able to think through additive and subtractive qualities of light, which comes down to controls. So we're always thinking about controls from the beginning. I would say in our world, IoT is maybe factoring in a little bit less in you know the architecturally designed spaces. I'm sure we will get there. What I would comment on is that the way that we are deploying lighting design is always thinking about the neurological and physiological and psychological aspects and those health benefits or health detriments. So I like to think about it, yes, from a visual standpoint, yes, we paint with light and I don't wanna demean that at all. It's an incredible part of our profession. And at the same time, I like to think about the Hippocratic Oath and primum non nocere, first do no harm, four years of Latin, Sam. I'm impressed. There you go. I don't speak Latin. (laughs) Well, it is, when we can actually create pretty unhealthy spaces with bad lighting, and there are a lot of those. It's really easy to do LED lighting really badly. It's challenging to do it well visually. It's even more challenging to do it well visually, but also create a space that is healthy both day and night. And the complexities of that, IoT absolutely should be in the mix and we will be moving into those spaces. But first, we've got a nail doing spaces that are healthy for the people that occupy them throughout the entire time that they occupy those spaces. You mentioned three very big words. Walk me through those. Let's start with physical. Physical aspects of light are related to how we perceive. We can think about task illumination. What is the optical effect? Do we have adequate illumination for the tasks that we're doing? So that's physical, at least one dimension of it. The second one is psychological. How do we feel in a space? So we might consider color temperature if it's cooler. And in a world of a pandemic world, I don't want to say post-pandemic. Hopefully we'll, we'll be getting there sooner than later. But in a world where we're starting to think a little bit differently, those psychological effects become important where, for instance, we might want to use cooler color temperature in certain spaces to create more of a sense of of cleanliness, brightness. Mm -hmm. So there's psychology to it and how do we feel safe? What are the spaces when we think about uh, outdoor lighting and site lighting, designing lighting so that people feel safe, which ties in both the physical and the psychological is critically important. Psychological also addresses uh, how we feel. But when I mentioned neurological, what I mean by that is our entire non-visual system. I know you've had some conversations with other guests about this. I jokingly laugh about 15 years ago when I was talking about blue light risks. And people thought I was a little bit crazy, but I was certain that the medical research showed us that we have such a powerful impact with lighting that the design community wasn't really aware of. I took very seriously, how do we actually do this? And And just to be clear, we're talking about the IPGRCs. Sam, it's your, it's cocktail. Here's for everybody's next cocktail party. It is the intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cells. Yes. So IPRGCs. Yes. They represent about 10% of the retinal ganglion cells and they're clustered in the lower back quadrant of the eye. And the affect of the circadian system to the suprachiasmatic nucleus that sets all of the body clocks, and there are clocks in every organ, those are done primarily through those IPRGCs in the retina. There's also uh, significant research that shows that we, through our skin, are actually taking in all those time signals as well. So our lighting 
throughout an entire space is telling our body, giving us a whole cascade of hormones and signals that change our, our body's Talk to um, me. physiology. Talk to me a little bit about the time factor of all of this. A lot of people are curious to know circadian lighting, uh, lighting has an effect on our health. Mm -hmm. uh, the, you know, people say go outside for 10 minutes and come back mm -hmm. inside. Mm -hmm. What sort of dosage or, you know, application do you think that is most important to consider? Is it for people that are on, you know, night shifts in an interior space, or is this for everyone that's just in an office for eight hours a day? It's for everybody. But those recommendations, just like no physician would write every patient the same prescription, depending on a, a host of factors. There's some better recommendations, but the biggest differentiator is, are you diurnally adapted? Are you sleeping at night and working during the day? Or are you a shift worker and working at, at night and sleeping during the day? The key components are really the same. Our circadian system needs a pretty big dose of what we call circadian stimulus that tells our body, hey, it's morning, wake up. And the most valid way to do that. What our bodies evolved to is through sunlight. So I think the recommendations are within an hour and a half of waking, but to get at least 15 to 20 minutes of exposure, preferably without glasses on so that you don't have UV filtering so that your body gets a unmitigated signal to the brain which triggers the suppression of melatonin and production of cortisol. And then through the day, that stimulus, it ebbs and flows through the day. But kind of fast forwarding to the end of the day, at sunset, we want our body to receive a cue that, hey, it's kind of time to stop the cortisol production. We need to start ready, getting ready for melatonin production. And I think there's some interesting research going on that shows how the violet portion of the spectrum that occurs only at sunrise and sunset acts like a a sort of stopwatch for our body to say, get ready for a new cue. But ultimately, what we want is to remove the portion of the spectrum that provides a circadian stimulus as we get closer to sleep so that our body can move into natural melatonin production. And the key takeaway here is that unless we have at least, for most people, a minimum of seven hours of darkness, biological darkness, preferably sleep, we don't reach peak melatonin production levels in our bodies. And without that, a whole host of immune fighting functions such as natural killer cells and T cells that have cancer fighting properties as well as immune boosting, they don't reach full production. They're not deployed. So our immune system is suppressed. So we have this whole, it's a two-part response and I'm really oversimplifying, but the key thing is that during our day, which I'm doing air quotes, we need a strong amount of circadian stimulus to tell our body it's day. And we ideally get that through daylight, but we can also get it through spectrally tuned electric lighting. And there's more and more research that's getting better and better about what that is. And then after dark, we need to remove the circadian stimulus and really dim the lights, which takes us full circle to the whole topic of this conversation, which is that evocative component. I mean, the beauty of all of this is that Mother Nature has really given us exactly what we need. And whenever I'm in doubt, I think about what Mother Nature would give us, a bright sky full of really cool color temperature, you know, 10,000 foot candle incident levels during the day as a model. And then at her brightest peak, 0.02 foot candles under the full moon, and that's enough to make you crazy, right? Yeah, it's crazy. Right. I mean, you think about the fact that the human eye has the ability to, to sit adapt, there and adapt to, to range. A, an incredible range yeah. of light. The recommended practices, as you mentioned earlier, are kind of just a, a blanket of light. 
And I think there's been a lot of research and a lot of thought that has gone past the original RPEs and high light level requirements throughout a space and the lack of contrast versus having contrast and light and darkness and ultimately leading to maybe more sophisticated environments, mm -hmm. spaces that feel and act different and not only, you know, help us out, but convey emotion. Totally. And, you know, the big thing that you just said a mouthful there, I have been amazed to watch how complacent we have been with this notion that lighting inside is static. Because mm. when has Mother Nature ever given us static lighting? She gives us a light show every day. And in certain parts of this beautiful globe we're on, a light show at night as well. And I love that we're entering into a time where now we have the capability and we're starting to see more of the expectation that interior lighting is no longer static. Interior lighting that changes gives us physical benefits, psychological benefits, and neurological benefits when we do it right. And by God, it can be sexy. Absolutely. Right? Well, I tell you what, Lisa, <laughs> let's take a quick break. And when we come okay. back, we're going to talk about why lighting is sexy. All right. Sound yeah. good to you? Sounds great to me. All right. <laughs> It's Sam. Real quick, The Light Pod is brought to you by LightEye, a hub for ideas, education, and a little bit of entertainment when it comes to architectural lighting. Check them out. They make short two-minute videos to keep you in the loop on what's going on in the lighting industry. That's L-Y-T-E-I. And welcome back to The Light Pod. Over the break, Lisa and I were chatting just a little bit more about why lighting is sexy. Well, lighting looks cool. It definitely conveys emotion, but let's face it. What else can you change when you walk into a space? What else is dynamic besides lighting? Or maybe I should say, why is everything else static? Well, it was fun. We were, we were chatting over the break about what's what's the one thing about lighting and Lighting is incredibly inspiring and it is sexy. I pivoted into lighting because in my years of practice doing architecture and interior design, I realized that in every space, it's what we do with lighting that completely changes the way that we experience it. I like to consider the way that people feel and um, one of the things I love doing is seeing how our threshold of the way that our eyes adapt to spaces changes after dark. I cut my teeth in the hospitality world in lighting and you know that is all about bringing the sexy. You know, it, it just has to be the candlelight glow. It has to be beautiful. It has to flatter the way people look. But what I learned from being in those environments, you know, four seasons kind of quality environments, is that the beauty of the lighting and how every detail is considered and looks like the gloriousness of candlelight bathing a face and skin glowing and luminous eyes and just a gentleness about that does create this gorgeous, evocative setting. And by comparison, light after dark, so light at night that isn't equally considered to be as beautiful and soothing, feels incredibly harsh. <laughs> I was having a fun conversation with my significant other last night. Before we started dating, he hadn't really entered into the world of even had, having dimmers. And uh, wait, hold on. I'm not joking, right? I mean, <laughs> come on. Dimmers. In case you don't know what a dimmer is. <laughs> 
<laughs> dimmer is what makes light not glary and too bright. Right? Exactly. So at uh, if for, for those who are in the local Rocky Mountain community and attended the Brilliance Awards last year, it was my boyfriend who basically funded the private auction and swept all of the... He pr- basically took home two carloads of equipment and it included a whole humongous uh, system. I think Lutron had do- donated Caseta and then oh, some awesome. additional stuff. So he's got Caseta all over his house now. And he just, he told me last night, he said, I, I can't even remember how I lived before without having dimming. It's Absolutely. so unbelievable how harsh lighting can be. So that's a very long way around of saying that when we're really conscientious about how spaces feel after dark, we create these sensitive environments that are, they're very gentle. And in our world today, there is so much harshness. There is a significant amount of blue light from all of our devices. And that return to the way that we evolved of sitting around campfires and telling intimate stories and keeping watch through the night. There's something primal and evocative about that that brings us back to our roots and what is most basic and having those kinds of settings and interior environments. Just as one example, there are many other ways that we use lighting, but I love that example of how we recreate that candlelit feeling because it does take us back to our roots and news flash, it's also healthy for us to be to have lighting like that after dark for all the reasons that we talked about before the break. So there's this beautiful little tie in that lighting is sexy and it's actually good for you, right? It's like the spinach in your smoothie. You you may not taste it when you put enough other good ingredients in there, but it's in there and it's doing good things. Lighting has this ability to really transform a space. But it's also fundamentally something that's important to us as humans and for our well-being. What are we doing in the lighting community to not only tell that story, but practice it? And how do you approach your daily job, you know, your career, your life, knowing that you have this opportunity to capitalize on something as unique as lighting is? Oh, Sam, I adore you for asking that question. It really is. We started this conversation talking about passion We have to have a passion to understand spaces and understand the potential for lighting. But getting further into the world of lighting design, our opportunity begins when we are collaborating with the design team. And I know for us at Davis, that collaboration begins for us as a team with getting the rest of our team members excited because we are looking deeply at their design and considering all of the opportunities related to materials, related to perception. And we're bringing lighting ideas that are a beautiful handhold in support of the design concepts that are already there. And so that's for us step one. Step two that's really ultimately even more important is that we have to talk with our clients from very early on about the benefits of lighting. Some of our clients are very sophisticated and have gone, have worked with lighting designers, have seen the outcomes and they get it. Sometimes we're working with clients who haven't had that opportunity before and they're not sure how lighting design is different from engineering. And we walk through with them all of the possibilities and potential that comes with lighting design. So it's not only about doing our job of doing a great job with design, it's also about helping our clients come along for the journey with us because lighting, as we all know who are in this world, 
is can be very technical. It's very complex. And when we're in an environment that's beautiful, there's a lot of techne that is behind that beauty. And so we want to be like the gymnast at the Olympics who does the most flawless routine and makes it look effortless. Lighting design is extremely, it's that extremely complex floor routine, but we have to make it look effortless. And we need to take our clients along so they understand that, oh my God, there were so many days in the gym, you know, falling and scraping ourselves and banging our heads to get to the way that we execute on this floor routine or this beautiful lighting design, and they're along for the journey. And so they're invested with us. So we walk through with them exactly what we're doing and why to the level of their appetite. Some clients don't want quite that much, sure, but some and do. I think you know that poses the million dollar question. Not every client knows they want a lighting designer. Not every client knows they need a lighting designer. I once heard from someone Everybody knows what bad lighting is. Nobody knows mm-hmm. what good lighting is because when it's good, it's good. You don't you don't acknowledge it. You just walk into the space right. and you appreciate it. Right. But people will take the T8 lamps out of the luminaires in their office right. if they annoy them. Right. <laughs> like you. Yeah. Pete, like me. <laughs> like you. Uh, I have I have eight T8 lamps above me that are no longer functional. Mm. How do you let your passion look at lighting and the opportunity it has to change an environment in a space? and take that energy and channel it into a client meeting where you may not even have the opportunity to be on the the design team but you know they need it. Yeah, how do we how do we approach projects where the client may not be aware of the potential benefits of lighting design? Do how do we introduce them to that? I have a lot of colorful examples and I'm just trying to choose choose what to P- say, what not favorite, to say, but pick your favorite 27. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I probably have more than that and some that are very recent. I may have some battle scars, but it comes down to knowing our client and the project and it goes back. It comes back to that passion. First of all, people want to work with people that they enjoy. So be the person that people want to work with that. Then that kind of natural enthusiasm allows us to describe to clients. I love meeting clients where they are and and figuring out what their hot buttons are. When we're talking with healthcare clients, we talk a lot about circadian rhythms and health impacts of lighting and and the fact that they can improve patient outcomes and staff outcomes with how we do lighting and that's our point of entry. When we're talking about hospitality or maybe multifamily residential where there's a poor aesthetic component, we can talk about things like lighting is sexy or how we change the way that people feel in a space and we can create this environment that has a specific feel to it and we curate people's experience by that. When we're talking about offices, we can talk about ways that we can stimulate and we can increase focus and concentration, create venues that produce different neurological states, whether it's focus or it's creativity with the way that we do lighting. And many of our clients, their big question is budget. And so if we don't address budget on day one in a way that helps them feel confident in what we're doing, for many of them, all the conversations about design are moored in uncertainty. So we want to remove the ambiguity and help them feel confident about the way that we engage in the lighting process, that we know how we can handle budgets. And obviously, we won't go into that today because that's a very deep dive that would merit its own completely separate podcast. However, and I tell you what, 
we'll come back and we'll do that one because it's a great one. I, I would enjoy doing that. Um, that's a, That would be a really rich conversation. But suffice to say that our clients need to understand that we aren't going to just be airy-fairy and waving our hands and like, this will be so fabulous to do. You're going to love it. And oh my God, you're just going to hate how much it costs, but who cares? Because totally. it's going to be fabulous. Like that... <laughs> It does I, not I mean, work I, for our I, clients. I totally get right? it. I mean, <laughs> you know, lighting is sexy. Lighting looks cool, but yeah. it has so much more behind it. Right. And ultimately, it has the ability to shape how we feel and transform the environment and the space that we're in to the point where you might not even know it's there. So I love to say this to my team, and I, I believe this is true of the entire realm of design, but lighting design more than any other discipline which is that our job as designers is to make conscious our awareness of how our space, and for those of us in lighting, how lighting impacts us, and to remove the things that distract or are unpleasant, and simply to create a space where people, they don't take notice of anything that is harsh or unpleasant or distracting, because we have taken all of that out of the space for them so they can just enjoy and be present and do what they're doing and feel the way that they want to feel and not have a bright light on top of their head or my favorite down lights over a ceiling fan creating strobing <laughs> with hey, hey being at the nightclub 24-7. <laughs> so obviously Lisa, if you sat down at a client meeting, they wouldn't tell you, hey, I want my space to feel like a nightclub all the time. But you have to figure out what it is they wish to see in order to be able to execute the lighting design that ultimately leads to a successful project. How do you approach trying to understand what it is they wish to see? Do they just tell you or is that a process that is an hour, a week or, or maybe months or the entirety of the job? It's not as easy as clients telling us what they want for lighting. Most people don't understand it. That back to that comment about our job as designers is to take what most people don't even consciously register, but it may, it affects them. And we make it conscious and we catalog how different environments, different types of lighting affect the way that people feel, how they behave, how they function. So through the process of discovery with the design team and with the client, we we need to be able to ask the right questions about what's going to happen in a space. So we talk about function and that goes back to our earlier discussion about physical components of lighting. We ask, how do we want people to feel? What experience do we want them to have in this space? And usually our design team is really good at being able to describe that. And so that gives us another clue. And then we start to understand what people are doing in the space and the, the things that we need to support, whether it's healthcare and we need to give staff the highest level of alertness so we can introduce neurological effects to support that. And I don't recollect ever having asked a client straight up what they want for lighting in a space. It's really our job to because be the how sleeves. They, yeah, because how would they ever know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And furthermore, most of the time, I feel like we can deliver something that surprises them with its beauty and its elegance and how integrated it is. Because to me, we didn't talk about this through this um, through this conversation, but I am an architect at heart and the integration of lighting into the architecture and seamless details and just sheets of light that wash surfaces and celebrate volumes makes my heart sing. And so I derive greatest pleasure from the most flawlessly executed details on projects. And no client can tell us how to do that. 
that's our job. But when we do it well, it sings. And yes, the space is sexy. And I think that there is a quotient of sexiness in just knocking it out of the park in the way the lighting is integrated. And then frankly, under the right light, everything can be beautiful. There you have it, folks. Under the right light, everything really can be beautiful. And what's ironic about it all is it all starts with a conversation that has nothing to do with lighting and everything about how you want to feel in the space. Lisa, this has been a really fun podcast. Thanks for catching up and talking a little bit more about what you're super passionate about lighting. I look forward to having you back soon. We can talk so much more about so many other things, but in the meantime, stay safe, take good care of yourself and enjoy summer. It's here. Thanks, Sam. It's been a delight. See you soon. Hey, it's Sam. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Light Pod. If you liked it, the best way to make sure you never miss another episode is to go back to the app that you were listening in and click follow or subscribe. Be sure to never miss another episode on The Light Pod, where we interview innovators, creatives, designers, and people that are just passionate about light. Until then, see you soon. Oh, 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 oh